This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I wasn't worried about how much money it would make. It was like, I'm either going to live and actually want to get out of bed or not live. So for me, no, it was a necessity to find a way to do something I loved and get paid. Welcome to The Real Real, where I take you behind the Instagram reel and into the real lives of entrepreneurs, content creators, and anyone who inspires me and may inspire you too. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Real Real Podcast with me, Natalie Barbu. And if today's intro sounds a little bit different, it's because I'm recording on voice memos on my phone because for some odd reason. Um, my microphone or my computer does not work for recording. Like it is glitching so much. This is, believe it or not, the sixth, sixth, you've heard that right. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, sixth time I am recording this intro. And you might think like, oh, okay, Natalie recorded like a minute of each intro. This is like five minutes in. No. Every single one was five to 10 minutes long. Like I was recording the entire intro. So we're going to make this really quick. I had stories. I was sharing things. I was, you know, I was wishing everyone well, like it, it was a long intro. And now I'm to the point where I physically cannot repeat myself because it's going to sound so inauthentic if I do. So I'm just going to introduce today's guest and let you know really quickly that it is such an amazing episode. And Kathy, which is the guest I have on today, it was just She's so unexpected. It was just such a good episode. I need to have her back on for a part two. It was that good. So listen up. I am going to just share a little bit about the guests and then we're going to dive into it because I cannot, cannot record another 10 minute intro. So Kathy Heller is today's guest of honor. She's amazing and she gets the whole intro dedicated to herself because that is how amazing she is. Kathy is an entrepreneur with the goal of inspiring individuals to find their ultimate purpose in life. But that sounds kind of like, okay, like, so what? What's the big deal? You have to listen to this episode. Her story of growing up, she grew up pretty much on her own at 15. She talks about the trauma that happened when her dad left them, how her mom was depressed, how that took a toll on her, how that made her realize that she needed to do whatever it took to find out her passion and and make it into a career. And, and just her story is absolutely incredible. And she found success actually through a young age by like, songwriting. And we don't dive that deep into the logistics of songwriting. We talk more about finding your purpose, finding your passion, and how you can do whatever you want. Like anything that you love can be pretty much made into a career and how how that can happen. So this episode is just really 
really great. I mean, we dive into the importance of finding beauty and being uncomfortable, why Kathy had no choice but to love what she does for a living, how her pain and her struggle led her to discover her life's ultimate purpose. So no matter where you are in life, I think this episode is going to be really helpful and inspiring for you. And we also talk about why people are afraid to take the leap and start their own businesses and how our egos actually encourage us to like stay boring and safe and why we are addicted to feeling like crap. This was probably my favorite part of the episode. It's at the very end, but we talk about why we're actually addicted to feeling bad about ourselves. And I thought it was very, very interesting. And also we just talked about like tips and tricks for actually feeling good about ourselves. So I know that you guys are going to love today's episode. I'm sorry I had to record this on my phone's voice memos, but you guys, if you saw the struggle I was dealing with, it was honestly kind of funny at this point. Like I thought it was good and then it just wasn't, or I would record it and then it would randomly delete. Like I, I don't know what's going on. So without further ado, please welcome Kathy to the show. She has better audio than I do and I have better audio in the actual episode, but welcome Kathy to the show and I'm so excited to have her on. Hello, Kathy. Thank you for coming on my podcast. You're so sweet. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to dive in because I feel like you are going to inspire so many of my listeners and that's usually the episodes that like, you know, the ones that kind of give people like a little push is are always the ones that I really love to record. Yes. And I love to give people that kick in the butt that like the good friend gives you, right? Like none of this, like, here's five affirmations. It's like, no, no, we're going to get you into the world the way you came to the world to be. Exactly. And that's what I really like. Cause I'm, I'm with you. I like that type of content better than the just like saying a few things every now and then. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. But before we dive into like the heart of the episode, I like starting out with setting the record straight, which is just some stereotypes, some assumptions. You're going to let me know if you think they're true, if you think they're false and kind of your thoughts on them. God, I love you already. This is such a fun podcast. Amazing. Well, the first one is that if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. That's you not think true. It's true or false. Yeah. I didn't think so either. <laughs> yeah, I definitely disagree with that one too. Why do you think people say that? And why do you think it's like a disagreement? Because no one wants to be uncomfortable. Because everyone has been taught that, are you having fun? Is it fun? If it's not fun, leave. And it's like, how about there's a balance? If you're doing something you love, I would say that is a hell yes. Like you're on the right track. But never working a day in your life, well, what's work? I mean, I think marriages that are good are also something that deserves and should put you put work into it. And I think work sometimes is finding your edge where you meet your resistance and you're willing to dive into it and you're willing to look at it. And if you want to grow in anything, I think you can't avoid that kind of work. So Maybe the kind of work you don't have to do is where you're working for someone else on their terms, which feels really like a trap in mm. some ways. That I do think is not the same when you're doing something you love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like the way you put it with like marriages that are good still are work. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I do think nowadays people kind of think like, oh, if you ever face any struggle, if you're ever unhappy in the slightest, if you're ever uncomfortable, like you were saying, that's a bad sign, leave. But I disagree. Like, I think you're always going to feel uncomfortable in things. You're always going to have moments of unhappiness and or like you want to be doing something else, but that's just part of life. And if you constantly search 
for that thing where you're always happy 100% of the time, you're just never going to find it and you're never going to be satisfied. I mean, 100%. And I think pain is inevitable, but I think suffering is optional. And I think pain with purpose is actually meaningful and beautiful. Like if you're in labor, you might experience a lot of pain and it has a tremendous purpose. And so it gives a different spin to it. Like mm-hmm. you're not sitting there thinking what you would think if there was pain without that purpose at the end. With that kind of pain, you might feel it and also be like, in the context of what this is, it's actually one of the most amazing moments of my life. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to reorient the way we think about being uncomfortable, being in a struggle. It's like, if there's meaning attached to it, then that struggle itself is like gorgeous and valuable. Yeah. That's what I'm going to start saying to myself whenever I have it, have like a really when bad day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then the next one is that any hobby can be monetized. Yeah. The bottom line is this. Okay. If somebody's going to monetize something, that means somebody else paid them. The difference between a hobby and a business is that somebody pays you for it. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, if there's no economics, it's a hobby. But if someone's paying you, it's a business. And if someone pays you, it's because they needed or wanted it. Mm -hmm. If you're not making something someone needs or wants, not a business. So you could find a hobby and figure out what about that hobby could be a business. So if you love to do glass blowing or you love to write or you love to make hand lotions, you can turn it into a business, but you would have to be willing to think about what the person on the other end of the dollar wanted and needed. So yes, you can turn a hobby into a business, but It's not fair to say any hobby can be turned into a business because without that very crucial piece, which is somebody needs or wants it, then it's going to remain a hobby. It won't be a business. Mm -hmm. And I guess like, I totally agree with you. Like the money part of it is what makes it a business and that transition. Because if you're just doing something for fun and for free, that's not a business. Right. Business by definition is an exchange of economic. There's something, there's some currency involved. But I think nowadays, so many people are looking to find, you know, something that they enjoy doing in their free time, something that they would do for free and then making it into a business. So actually wanting to find those customers or those users to actually turn this into kind of their their lifestyle or their livelihood. I mean, that's literally what I teach. And I am quite clear there is way more than enough evidence that you can get paid to do things you love. And so Mm -hmm. I'm happy to dive into that for the next 2000 hours. Yeah, that's (laughs) definitely a possibility. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz and take it from me. I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Eras tour for like the third time, you know, the important stuff, but who actually has time for frizz? Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream. It is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? 
it is the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon violet and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to four 150 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration, and according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz-free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code RealReal. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today as it should with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet. Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard-earned cash when I need it most. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. My job is a content creator, started that as a hobby for the longest time. And then now I'm the founder of a company, but it's still like everything happened as, you know, a hobby first. And I just found a way to monetize it and actually make it into a business. How great. And then the next one is that you need to think out of the box to be successful. That I do agree with. Yeah, Yeah. I think that one's true. I think that the thinking in the box is where everybody kind of gets stuck. Like I heard Sir Ken Robinson say before he passed away that people usually at the age of 24 or 38 or somewhere in their life will be walking from the car to the office and they'll start to think, wait, was I sold a big lie? I'm so unhappy. And I I checked every box. I got good grades in high school so I could go to college. I paid my way through college, paid off or paying off my student loans, got a job, got a 401k, and I'm so unhappy. I think because our happiness comes from a feeling of purpose and you could check all those in the box boxes 
and not wind up feeling expressed or seen or heard or like your gifts are actually contributing. So I think that you need to learn how to look again and see what's really here and not just see inside the box so that you can shake things up and find more well-being. Mm -hmm. And I mean, so many people fall into, you know, the routine of just doing the same exact thing every single day, being unhappy, but they went down this path that they thought was right, that everyone told them to go down, that society, you know, told you that you needed to do in order to make it. ridiculous, especially for women. There's just so much conditioning to be pleasing, work for somebody else, serve somebody else, do for somebody else. Who are you to have money? Who are you to have a business? But if a guy has a business, that's like great. So... You really have to be very aware as we raise the next generation of girls, how they don't digest that. Yeah. How was your childhood like? Did you think that you had to go down a certain path? Not even childhood, but like teenage years as well. Like, did you feel like you had to go down one certain path to kind of be successful or were you allowed to kind of get out of the box and do whatever you wanted? I mean, first of all, you're such a good podcaster. I can tell you right now, I've been on so many podcasts. Nobody ever asked me that question. And I think it's such a great question. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. I wasn't because my parents were not around quite literally. My dad left when I was just going into high school, leaving middle school, which is really hard time for a girl to lose her dad in a way, right? And he like disappeared. So he had another family, another life, one of those like, you know, after school special kinds of things. I saw them in the mall and I hadn't even, I hadn't even been invited to like their wedding and they were pushing a stroller. So my dad had a kid. I didn't even know. I mean, it was like one of those weird things, Melrose Place style. And then my mom was so depressed from the divorce. She never recovered even to today. She never recovered. So she went into a very severe depression and was incapable of taking care of herself. So we had to make some arrangements for her. So here's what I got out of that experience. A lot of therapy bills, but also the fact that nobody knew if I went to school or not, the fact that nobody checked my homework or my grades, that was good for me Mm -hmm. because I didn't have an expectation on myself that I should get straight A's. In fact, in high school, there was a time where they wanted to like expel me for unexcused absences. And every 10 unexcused absences, you need to do a Saturday detention. And then I wouldn't show up for the Saturday detentions. And then they were like, well, then you can't finish this year. You're just, and I was like, I just lost it in my principal's office. And I was like, listen, I'm not the kid who's causing trouble. I'm not the kid. I'm the kid who I'm by myself and I'm 15. And they were like, oh, and I was like, I have to at least be able to graduate high school so I can at least try to get a student loan so I can at least try to get on with my life. And they left me alone (laughs) once they found out what was going on with me. And I barely graduated. But I think all of that, I gave myself permission. It was like, done is better than perfect. I'll Mm -hmm. go to college. I went to college on academic probation, which meant since my grades were so bad, going to a state school, Florida State, they were like, you can come, but if you don't get straight A's every semester, you're out. Like, because your grades are so bad. Like we're doing you a favor. It was a big favor because being enrolled got me student loans, which allowed me to pay my bills. Plus I worked three jobs. I worked for the Alumni Association. I worked for a girl who had cerebral palsy. I took care of her as like her assistant and I worked at Roadhouse Grill. So like I did three jobs. Plus I had the student loans. I was figuring it out. And then... I became a big fish there. I became a writer for the student paper. I became editor of the student paper. I started to rally the kids to do good things. And I think all because 
it was on me because I was the one paying for college. And because I was the one nobody checked in on, it was almost like, oh, just wait and see. Like, Mm -hmm. you'll just wait and see what I can do with this. And my friends were like, partying. And I was like, I have to get the A. Like, I I don't have a choice. And look at me now. Like, honestly, like it's a miracle. I mean, it's a miracle. Like when you think about the pain and the rejection and the hard stuff and like, I just kept going, like didn't turn to a lot of things. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, It's, um, so yeah, that was my, no, I didn't think I had to No, Nobody said you better get good grades and go work at a hedge fund. No. Yeah. So, I mean, that's so hard going through that and being all alone at such a young age. And you obviously felt that pressure that you needed to support yourself and yeah, to take care of I yourself. Did. did that pressure make you feel like you couldn't have, you know, your a passion to kind of pursue? Because I feel like when you have the pressure to, I have to pay the bills, I have to, you know, put myself through school. Did you feel like you still had that luxury to explore things that you were actually interested in? I felt it wasn't a luxury. I felt it was a necessity. And I'll tell you why. Because okay, interesting. the more of my story, which is the plot keeps thickening. So when my mom was in high school, she was the lead in every single play. And in her senior yearbook, they did like the senior superlatives were like they do best dressed, most talented, most likely to succeed that a lot of yearbooks do that. My mom's was like, she was the girl with the most talent. And when she graduated from high school, the girl who played her understudy, the girl who never got the lead said to my mom, her name is Ellen Green. She said, if we go into Manhattan, because they lived on Long Island in New York, we could audition. There's a new musical called Little Shop of Horrors. And my mom said, oh, that's not an option for me because my mom thought you have two choices. You can get married and have kids or have a career doing what you love. And my mom said, I'm going to marry the guy I'm dating now and have kids. I can't do that. So the girl who played her understudy went to the audition and got the lead role on Broadway. And then they made the movie Little Shop of Horrors. And that girl was the lead in the movie. And in my mom's yearbook, she's like, dear Lynn, you're the most talented person I've ever met. Thank you for teaching me. Like the girl who could have said I was in the shadow. No one saw me. She was like thanking my mom for being an inspiration to her. Cut to, that's why my mom's depression was so bad. It's one thing for my dad to leave and she was devastated and I'm not minimizing how devastated. The second thing was she felt she had put her gifts on the shelf for this marriage. And when I was growing up, I knew everything about my mom's talent and I knew how it was killing her that she wasn't using it. So I knew even more than worrying about finances. It was like, if I don't actually find a way to do what I love, I will feel like that. That's a Mm -hmm. cautionary tale. And when your parents are divorced and there's no electric bill to pay, no one knows how to pay it, and you're alone a lot, you're like, if I'm going to be on the planet, I'm going to be happy. Because if I'm not happy, I don't even want to be here. Like my internal monologue was pretty dark. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't a choice about, I wasn't worried about how much money it would make. It was like, I'm either going to live and actually want to get out of bed or not live. So for me, no. It was a necessity to find a way to do something I loved and get paid. Yeah. I mean, living with that and living with seeing how it made your mom must have been the biggest cautionary tale, like you were saying, of what 
you didn't want to end up in that spot where you're living with regret forever. Uh And when you were realizing like, I need to be happy or, you know, I need to do something that I love. Did you already have something in mind that you loved and that you wanted to pursue? Or were you kind of trying to figure out your passion as you were thinking about that? I mean, it's kind of a yes and no. And yes, because growing up, because I was my mom's daughter, I knew how to sing. I loved music. I wanted to sing. But after all the crap I had been through, I wasn't sure like I wanted to do that for sure. I was really seeking a lot of like big answers in the world. But I came to Los Angeles at 23, like, oh, maybe I'll get a record deal. And I wrote kind of mediocre songs and the songs got a little bit better. And then I actually got a record deal. I was actually signed twice, once to Atlantic Records and once to Interscope Records. And both times at the end of the day, the A&R team wasn't certain that my songs would be on the radio. They felt like maybe if they were inside of a movie, like Jack Johnson wrote songs for Curious George, they tried to do that with my record. I almost wrote the music for a movie, Fraggle Rock. Ahmet Zappa wrote the screenplay. Weezer wrote a song for it. I was going to do the rest of the record. The movie never came out. It just never was a freaking hell yes. It was like an almost, you have a good voice, you have a good personality, but they're not Lady Gaga song. They're kind of more like Colby Calais, Vanessa Carlton. Like it wasn't going to be a slam dunk. And so I didn't wind up getting those record deals. And that's when I actually got pretty confused and depressed because I was so close or so I thought. And so I went and got a day job and I was working for this guy who sold real estate and I was so unhappy. Two years in, I was like, I have to quit. Like I've been through so much in my life that like, I Mm -hmm. know I'm not supposed to help him sell shopping malls. Like that's not my thing. So I quit at 26 and started looking for other ways that I could do music. And what I wound up doing is I wound up writing music for Grey's Anatomy and Pretty Little Liars and Switched to Birth and Younger and McDonald's and Walmart. I started writing music for TV shows and ads and movies. And that was amazing. And I built that business by the sweat of my brow. I just basically cold called at literally ad agencies and TV show networks and Paramount movie studio. And and I made relationships and started to make a few hundred thousand dollars a year writing songs. And that was amazing. And then from there, other artists started to ask me for help. So I started an agency where I would write music and then I would pitch other artists music and then that became profitable business. And then other artists started saying, can you help me write better music? And so I started a class. First, it was in my living room for 10 people. Then it was online. It was just no slides, no webinars, just like me straight to camera on Zoom before Zoom was a thing in 2016. So I wrote music for film and TV for 10 years started an agency seven years in and 10 years in started teaching it online in Zoom rooms. And then that class called Six Figure Songwriting grew into millions. I was like, oh my God, so many people want to know how you do the thing you do. And then a girl in my class said, you should start a podcast because for anyone who wants to do creative work, this is really helpful. Like even if I wasn't a songwriter, just all of the things you did to like, make your passion a priority and turn your passion into a profit and understand the game of business with your passion. She said, that's probably a great idea for a podcast. So I started a podcast called Don't Keep Your Day Job five years ago. Now it has 40 million downloads. Now we've interviewed all these people and now I'm not songwriting anymore. 
I'm helping people do their thing. And maybe I'll go back to songwriting or maybe I won't, but I'm just kind of like riding the wave and the wave kind of Mm -hmm. like takes you where it goes. And it's been really, really creative and fulfilling to talk to people like you and also to have people like Deepak Chopra on my show and Matthew McConaughey. And I'm just like, this is so fun, you know? So I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's been five years. It seems like your passion has evolved over the years too. You know, it started out as you being a singer, then you writing songs for other like TV shows and making music, podcasting. Like, it's not like you've had the same passion throughout. Do you think that your passion is more like helping people, being more creative? I guess, what would you say your passion is? Because I think I wouldn't say like, oh, podcasting, you know, it's probably like helping people. That is a passion. I think the through line that like obvious, but... I didn't even realize it till recently. It's like using my voice. So it's Mm. like, ultimately the reason I used to love to write music is I wanted to say something. I wanted someone to hear the lyric. I wanted them to feel moved by the song and I would spend a lot of time on the lyric. So now I just speak, but it's using my voice. And so I guess it's like using my voice to open someone's heart to an idea, to a concept, to a new way of looking at something that could help them. That's probably my passion. Mm-hmm. And how long after you quit your job, like, did you start reaching out to TV shows and get your first deal? Because I think a lot of people are in jobs right now where they're unhappy, but they don't know if how if they quit, what are they going to do? Like, how long are they going to wait? How long are they going to live on their savings for? I don't recommend quitting the job because it put me in a very stressful situation. Mm-hmm. And I got I got mono and shingles like it was because I didn't have parents to ask for money. I mean, I just if you're watching, I just touched my face and like my jaw when I went and I thought about it, it was stressful. What I say to people, and I'll tell you what I did, but what I say to people is like, build the runway. Like, mm-hmm. because the data, we have so much data that we know that people are on their phones like many hours a day. So we can't lie about it anymore. <laughs> like we can't say with a straight face to someone, I do not have time to build a side hustle because you're on your phone. And I know you're on your phone. Because yeah. Apple tells me that on the low end, you're on it three hours a day. On the high end, it could be 11 hours. So don't lie to yourself. Help yourself out by telling the truth. Mm-hmm. So what I would say is if you had 90 days, and even if you could give one hour a day to doing the right things, you could build the side hustle so you could leave your job in 90 days. What I did is I did all of the things I could do and quickly had to figure something out. And so I quit my full-time job, but I had to have part-time jobs. So I did like three things. I worked and taught Sunday school because I could make some money. Uh, that was good money. It was like $70 an hour and it was three hours on a Sunday. And I was like, I can do this, you know? Dang, yeah. <laughs> um, I worked for a, at a floral shop two days a week and sometimes seasonally I did catering. I mean, it's not like I had no money. Com- I mean, I couldn't afford to have no money coming in, right? Like, right. But I think you could keep the full-time job is what I'm saying and spend an hour a day on the right steps. So let's talk about what those right steps are, okay? The first step is you give something away for free. Mm -hmm. And most people don't know that. And it's like, well, if you're gonna make Skippy Peanut Butter a success or a, a new car company a success, you get focus groups, right? Like people test it first. We always think like, oh, I could never be successful because I would have to make a thousand units of this nail polish. And it's like, no, that's not how it starts. You know, like Ali Webb started dry bar 
by offering to blow dry her friend's hair for free. Yeah. And then they were like, that was really great. And she was like, would you pay for this for reals? And they were like, oh yeah. But she's like, I'm not cutting your hair, right? I'm just blow drying. Like, no, because I feel so good about myself. So then she started a mobile dry business where she would just like drive to people's homes and charge them whatever, like 30 bucks. But then she realized this isn't really profitable because I'm leaving my house, leaving my kids with a sitter and I'm driving around town. So then she had to like figure out how to make it profitable. But then she had something really valuable, which is called proof of concept. So that's what people need is proof of concept. Like if you gave something away for free, like you make this woman in New York, she was making flan, which is a Cuban dessert. Yep. You obviously know what that is. You live in Miami. You've had a lot of flan, but some people don't. So this woman, Claudia Varela, she was in the New York Times because of this story. She was making flan and people in her in her apartment building were like, I want to taste it. And so she would like give it for free. And then her neighbors were like, I loved it. What are you making it again? And she was like, would you actually buy it? Like if I, if I took the time to make, and they were like, yes. So she had a proof of concept and then she started to sell cups of it for like, or $3, whatever it was. And then she thought, well, if the 10 people on my floor in my building like it, let me just go to like the local Dean and DeLuca or coffee shop and ask them like, try it. Do you like it? Is this something your customers will like? And guess what? There was one shop that said, let's try it. And then people liked it. And then she did the next shop and the next shop. So what people usually do is they get overwhelmed because they think about scaling and marketing a business that they don't even know if it's a business. So the first thing you do is say, I'm going to come up with something that I'm going to give away for free and I'm going to test it. And there are five things that you can do. You can make something. That's what Claudia does. She makes blonde, right? I was making music. I was writing a song. So you could be a maker. You could be a teacher. You could teach people how to make blonde. You could have a class, a flan baking class. You could have a songwriting class. So you can make something or teach something, or you could do a service for someone where you can organize homes, be a photographer. But again, start by giving it away for free. So like, oh, I want to take baby portraits. It's like, do you have a friend who has a baby? Ask her, I would appreciate it. Could I do this for you for free? Mm -hmm. Now you start to get a sense of, do I like it? Does she like it? Would she pay for it? And then the good news is there's already a market for everything. If you make flan, there's already a cost to flan. You don't have to invent it. You know, if you take photos, there's already a low end and a high end. So when you're starting, you'll be somewhere on the low end. And then as you get more experience, you'll raise your price. Like it's not hard. The hard part of starting a business is not a business problem. It's just a courage problem. People are scared. They're like, what if I cold call this person and they get mad? What if I, you know charge too much and some you'll survive it. Like, I think one of the beautiful parts of my own childhood is I was already uncomfortable. So Mm -hmm. it's okay to be more uncomfortable. I wasn't worried about that. Yeah. So I love what you said that it's a courage problem, not a business problem, because so many people come up to me and they're always asking how how did you start a business? Like, how do you start this? How did you get into it? How did you get a lot of customers? How did you get investors? How did you, and they are asking me questions like 20 steps ahead where I'm always thinking, number one, you have to first 
start by just doing and start researching. Like, it's great that you're asking me these questions because that's already a start. But I think some people think that the start is like getting customers or the start is getting users or the start is like getting investors. And that's step one. Whereas step one is not that. Step one is literally just asking questions and figuring it out. And that's how it snowballs. It's not like here, here's a business handed to you. Now operate and scale. Like it starts off in a kitchen making flan and giving it to your neighbors. Or it starts off with like you doing your friend's hair, like you were saying, or my friend, she does, she's like a social media agency. It started by giving social media advice to people and then growing from there. And it starts before you even realize it starts. And I think that's the thing. It's like, you think that you're just doing this like preliminary stuff that, you know, oh, I haven't actually started anything yet. I'm just kind of like researching and talking to people and kind of like experimenting. That's actually the beginning of a business. And totally. so many people are scared because they're scared of failing. They're scared like, oh, well, like, what if I don't make it? Or like, what if this doesn't work out? And I'm like, yep. well, what if it does? If it doesn't, then here you are, square one, back again, you'll pivot, you'll realize yeah. what to do next. But if if you really want to do something, you have to start and you have to be willing to take that risk. And I also always think like, I don't know how you feel about this, but people always ask me like, well, what are you going to do if, if something doesn't work out, like, what are you going to do if your business doesn't work out? I'm like, I'll deal with that if that happens, but I don't have a plan B because it's going to work out. Like it's going to work out and I'm going to do whatever it takes to work out. And I don't have a plan B of, okay, if this fails, then I'm going to do actually this pivot or this business, because then I feel like you aren't as in it as you would if you didn't have a plan B. But I'd love to hear what you think. Like, did you have plan Bs when you were writing songs? Yeah. What was kind of your thought process with success at that point? No, I don't have plans at all. Like I don't have (laughs) business plans. I don't do anything with plans. I don't have the luxury of that even going on in my brain. Like it's just, I never said to someone, I'm going to try to start a podcast. Mm -hmm. I just said, I'm doing a podcast. Like that's it. Like, let's go rock and roll. Like we're doing it. Like this is happening. And you know what you said before about the courage and stuff. It's just fear. And it's like, fear is so boring. Like how many years of people's lives go by, people have the same conversation. And it's like, your soul is so bored. It's like what you really want. It's like, you'd rather be scared and fail and try something and have a good story to tell than to be so comfortable and so bored. Like Every time you watch a movie, you want the unpredictable to happen. You want the person to go for it. You don't want the character to be like, this is my plan. This is certain. You you would hate that movie. And it's because there's a part of you that you want to be in the unknown, you know, willing to take the adventure. So I don't think anyone really truly wants a life where it's like there is certainty, but our Mm -hmm. ego want certainty because we're like, oh, what if this, what if that, what if this, what if that is very boring, but no, I don't have a plan B and you're right. I think people like do that where they think they have to jump to like what they're going to need to know once it's a million dollar business and they need to know what venture capital firms. So it's like, if you need that, you'll know when you need that. But what about like how much business can you create with your own two hands before you hire a team or know anything about online marketing? Like I still don't know anything about online marketing. I don't have a funnel software system. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't build an email list. Like I won't say something at the end of this show. Like if you want to get on my list, cause I don't even know how to do that. And I'm still doing really well because I don't know. I don't care enough to know about online marketing. 
I, I guess I don't yet understand enough to know why I need to care. And I feel allergic to things that are too complicated and you don't need it. You just need all of your most incredible resources, like your energy, your enthusiasm, your compassion, your creativity, your resonance, the way you can talk to people, the way you can, you know how much you can get done in a day? If you Mm -hmm. can connect with eight people, you know how many ideas you could give them? You know how many ways you could do business together? You know how many ways you can collaborate? Just get to work, like have fun. Yeah, I love that you're like, I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't know marketing. Because even when... Yeah, no, but even when you go off the beaten path, let's say, and you start your own business, you still can then compare yourself to other entrepreneurs or other people that are doing something similar. You're like, well, they have an email list or they have this sales funnel that they're going through. Like, maybe I should do that too. And then you realize that you're just still at the end of the day following other people. You're not doing what feels organic and genuine. It kind of leads you to either a trap of this isn't even makes sense for your business. You're just trying to kind of like, fit in uh, kind of like an ego thing because you think other people have it. So you need to have it. But also you're going to realize what you need to do and what you don't need to do because every single business is unique. And I think that's what's special about going off on your own and kind of going off the beaten path, if you will, because there is no rule book. You can decide what you want and what you don't want. And no one needs to tell you that this is right and this is wrong, because if it works for you and it works for your business and your customers then it works and it doesn't matter what you're doing. I totally agree. And how do you get people to not have that what if fear or or like get rid of their ego in this situation and actually just go for it and go for at least experiment and try to go after their passion? You know, part of it is I took a lot of classes in meditation and spent some time at UCLA studying at their Mindful Awareness Research Center and learned a lot about our minds. And part of it is that we have to understand like what's actually happening. Like we know more about our car and our microwave than we do about our own mind. And every single day we have about 70,000 thoughts and most of those thoughts are negative. And every one of those thoughts, it signals a feeling. And every time we have a thought and a feeling, there's a chemical released into our actual cells, into our body. If it's a happy thought, we might get like dopamine or serotonin naturally, like a natural pharmacy in your body. If it's a stressful thought, you get cortisol released into your body and cortisol creates inflammation and inflammation creates disease. And that's why if you read books on health, they'll say stress is the equivalent of like, It's worse than smoking cigarettes. Yeah, it's a killer. And it's because cortisol is actually addictive. It's more addictive than nicotine. So we get addicted to feeling like crap. Your body actually will crave the thought that made you feel bad so you can get the cortisol. So if you think a thought that gives you self-doubt, you get a lot of that cortisol, you're going to do it again. If we don't know this, we're going to be screwed. So there's a lot written about this now. There's a lot of data and a lot of books talking about understanding how this all becomes a cocktail and how now it's not mind over matter. It's like you're up against your body. Your body is addicted to stress, addicted. It's going to keep wanting you to go back in that loop of that thought pattern. So how do I move people out of it? First of all, understanding what I just said, starting to be aware of it. And then realizing that if 30 minutes after you woke up, if you haven't put a different thought in there, if you haven't taken a run, if you haven't meditated, if you hadn't prayed, your day's done. 
you will think what you thought yesterday, you will feel what you felt yesterday, and you will have the exact same results. But if you want to have a different day, you're going to have to change your focus. And so in the morning, it's great to have some kind of a practice where you take your flashlight of your own attention and focus it on gratitude, possibilities, find your higher power, find this divine intelligence. And then, whoa, you just moved out of the body. You just moved out of cortisol. You just moved out of that. Now you can find something called creativity. We create from a place of wholeness. So every billion dollars ever made came on the other side of a creative idea. Those ideas had to come once the person wasn't constantly in shame and doubt and sadness. It's hard to be creative when you're flooded with cortisol. So every day that goes by, every hour that goes by, every second that goes by that you don't feel great and you're upset, you won't make money, you won't be creative and you won't give to someone else. So it's actually, that's the ego. And where the ego disguises itself as wisdom is it says, oh no, that's humility. Mm -hmm. No, that's not humility. Humility is not pumping yourself with sadness and fear and doubt and sucking in cortisol all day long. Humility would be being who you're meant to be. Mm-hmm. being willing to let go of what you're afraid of in order to serve someone else. If you were a lifeguard and someone's drowning, you would jump in the water. You wouldn't say, well, what if I don't do it right? It's only my third day. It's not about you. Yeah. It's about the other person. And we have this girl in our community, Takdis, who started a company called Wow Meme. And she's from Pakistan. And she came to America and she had $50. And she looked around and she said, I know women in Pakistan who cannot leave their house. It's so dangerous. What if I could employ them? What could I do? How could I sell something here and employ them there? So she started a company making clothing, Pakistani clothing, started selling it, started employing them, grew it from $50 to $100,000 with 300 followers, not 3,000, 300 followers on her Instagram. I feel like now these are all vanity metrics of like that people think that they need these like thousands and millions of followers to like be my, successful. But my point, but my point is like she was being humble. Yeah. Because she got out of herself. She was thinking about somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. And also it's I like the lifeguard analogy of, you know, you're not gonna think. Oh, oh my God, what if I like don't pull him out of the water like right? in the time I'm supposed to? Like, no, you're, you need to do it, even if it's not the way that you were trained to do it, right. or even if it's not in five seconds instead of seven seconds or whatever it is, your job is to just go in there and do it no matter what. And yeah. I think people need to have that mindset. But like you said, it's not humility, even if you think it is, it's actually your ego that's obsessed with self-doubt because at least it makes you feel something. It's honestly, for a lot of people, it's comfortable because like you said, it is addictive and it's you're used to that feeling. Like you're not used to being proud of yourself or you're not used to feeling, you know, like, oh my God, I'm doing great. Like that's not a feeling people are used to. People are used to feeling like an imposter and having that imposter syndrome. I know you said like that routine, the journaling, the sense of gratitude. What are some things that you do every morning that, you know, have helped you kind of get out of that negative self-doubt addiction? There's a couple of things. First of all, Einstein. So Einstein teaches us that our eyeball, our eyes, we perceive things in three dimensions. There's a height and a depth and a width of things, but there's things you just don't see with your eyeball. Like you're not going to be able to see an atom with your naked eye 
but it very much exists. Like you're not mm-hmm. going to be able to see the energy that's between you and me on this computer monitor. But if the light hits the air a certain way, I can see the particles in the air. I just don't see everything that's there. And so what he says is we see a 3D reality, but there's 10 dimensions, right? Like you and I can't see Saturn unless we look through a telescope, but Saturn is definitely a reality, right? It takes up a lot of mass <laughs> and mm-hmm. space. So what I'm saying is, Every morning I meditate on the dimensions I can't see. I close my eyes and then I actually can see. Like I can see further with my eyes closed because my eyes are showing me a very limited reality. My eyes don't show me that there's like rings around Saturn or the Milky Way. But if I close my eyes and I feel into how much space is in the universe, I can feel it. Then I actually have vision. I have insight. So when I meditate in the morning, I kind of bend the 3D reality. And then I realize everything is already done. Everything's already possible. Everything's in the field. Everything's a potential. And I'm swimming in a much bigger space than what my eyes tell me. Mm -hmm. That's my morning practice. And then I ask this divine intelligence. I ask God to like, let me move out of the way. So that's something much bigger than me, a force, love, goodness, compassion, energy, enthusiasm can flow through me. And then I just take the next step. How long do you do that? How long is your meditation usually? Very short. I mean, Joe Dispenza has these like 23 minute meditations on his website. There's days where I do that whole thing. There's days uh-huh. where it's five minutes. But what happens is you literally get muscle memory. So just like you memorize how it feels to feel bad, you memorize what it feels like to feel good. And then it just like, if the Dalai Lama didn't wake up tomorrow and meditate, he's going to be fine because- mm-hmm. He's operating at a different level of vibration. Mm-hmm. And that's just now who he is. Yeah. I think that's the goal is always to, you know, get to that point where you are grounded and you are operating on that different level. You aren't addicted to like negative self-talk. You're letting your ego get out of the way or right. you're pushing your ego out of the way. I think that's one of those things that once all of that happens it's so much more clear on exactly what you need to do and what you should be doing. I mean, what's really interesting is that we all, I think, crave feeling good. And I think we Mm -hmm. all crave feeling excited and abundant and all those things. And yet we wait for something to happen to feel good. Yeah, we don't do anything. We wait. (laughs) When like literally every single morning, you could give that feeling to yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you could pray, you could meditate, you could take your shoes off and walk in the grass. And it's like, well, how much time would that take? And right. that's how you know you're addicted to cortisol because you're like, if I have to give up suffering to feel good, I'm not sure I'm in. Yeah. And I, I can sense, I don't know if you get like this, but I can sense sometimes when I'm getting into a state where I am addicted to cortisol. I didn't know Me it, too. obviously, but I can feel it where I wake up and I'm like, oh, I do not. Like, I know I have nothing going on but I don't want to go to the gym because I just like, I can't, like, I just, I'm sad. I don't want to, you know, and I would rather sit there and feel bad about myself than put my workout clothes on and go to the gym for 20 to 30 minutes, even though I have the time. Yeah. I I have so many moments where I'm like, I would love to have a good day, but I really, really want to feel this thing. It's like, 
little gremlin in my mind right now about my mom or my husband or something that's bothering me. It's like an itch. I'm not supposed to keep scratching this bite, yep. but I need to keep some like, no, I'm going to text someone about it. No, I'm going to say something else that I shouldn't say. It's like, I'm freaking in my shit and that happens. And so it's real. Talk about the real, real. Like that's the real, real. Like that's most people will tell you all the reasons they're not doing the thing and all the things they want to do. And the truth is they are not willing to stop feeling bad. And it's because it is so good. I mean, part of it is you want to be right. And it's like, you don't want to let go of a past issue. So you're like, here's how I can recreate that sabotage again. Here's how I can recreate what happened to me again and again and again, because I'm right. It's like, well, you might be right that that is awful, but it's your freaking moment right now. So... How do you want to spend it? And sometimes you need a both. You need a both and. Sometimes you need to give yourself permission to grieve or you need to give yourself permission to cry into a pillow. And for the love of God, give yourself a good day. It's not toxic positivity to say you deserve to feel better. And, I think right? it's-, it's like we get like confused. We're like, no, don't tell me to feel good. It's awful. And it's like, okay, but like, <laughs> If the Dalai Lama came to your house, he would say, my beautiful child, you deserve to feel connected to the stream of goodness. Let's find our way back there. Mm -hmm. And also, I think part of it is people want to feel like the victim sometimes, because if you are a victim, then you don't have blame. And so you can't, you know, if you're having a bad day or you're like not able to do something, it's like if you victimize yourself, then it's kind of like everyone else against you rather than you being able to change it yourself. Yeah. And let's be clear of what we're saying and what we're not, because the ego is so amazing. It loves to jump on things. There are moments and times and people and places and things that are trauma with a capital tea. And you and I are both aware of it. And I'm sure we've both experienced things that we'd rather not talk about because they're beyond the scope of this conversation, right? That's one thing. And what we're talking about is all of the other days and hours when you don't feel great and you're scrolling your phone and you're watching Netflix and you just don't feel good and you would like to feel better. And that's where you could maybe do something different. That's what we're talking about, right? Because there are times where I'm with someone who's, and again, I'm just belaboring the point because boy, do people need to hear these points being made. I know how the world works. There are times where somebody is in such a hard moment. All they need you to do is just witness them and be like, no, no, this is the, the appropriate thing here is tears. And then I know we're on the same page, right? And then there are times where that's not what's up. And when Deepak Chopra was on my show, I said to him, what's a great practice people can do to feel good? And he said, try this. Say, I am Kathy Heller. That's my name. So I did. And he said, now try this. Say, I am Kathy. So I did that. And he said, now just say, I am. He said, now when you say I am, and you don't say I am Kathy and I am Kathy Heller, you just say, I am. Who are you? Who's the I am? It's your consciousness. It's a connected part of the one. You are someone, some of the one. There's only one unified field. Marianne Williamson said to me, if you look at the ocean, every wave is connected to every other wave and every wave is the ocean. So the reason we tend to feel really bad is we forget that you and me are one. We're part of this oneness. We're part of this one field, this one divine field, because 
Yes, you have a 3D body, but what's inside of that body is electricity. When somebody dies in a hospital and they try to bring them back, they take an electrical charge and try to bring the electricity back into the body, literally. Mm -hmm. So our self is the energy inside the body because when the body's there without the energy, you're not there anymore. We say you died. Well, your body's still there, but you're not there. So that's not it. You're the energy inside the body. Well, that energy isn't inside your 3D body. It's much bigger. It actually goes out into the room. When someone walks in the room, you feel their energy across the room. That's where I started by saying, Einstein said things aren't three-dimensional. So I might think that me and my neighbor are separated, but you can't separate one wave from another wave. They're just part of the same pool. So when we get upset and we hold on to being upset, we are saying, I am my ego. I am Kathy Heller. I am my story. I am this. But if we're part of this one big, beautiful field, this one big, giant ocean of consciousness, we start to feel liberated. And Mm -hmm. now there's a story and there's a thing and there's a this, but who you really are is always connected to a stream of unlimited life force and well-being. And that's really and truly what I do in the morning. I love that. I think that so many people can take that into practice. And no, I totally agree with what you were saying earlier. Like, obviously there are times, like this is not toxic positivity where it's like, just be happy all the time because there are moments when you need to cry into your pillow. And I mean, I recently went through a breakup and that first week I stayed in bed and I cried all day. Like, and that's exactly what I needed to do. That's Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I needed to do. But I know when there are moments when I just am, like you said, scrolling on my phone, being sad and or like just being kind of like unmotivated and, you know, unhappy for not really a specific reason. And that's when I feel like I start getting addicted to feeling like crap. So I love that you have that practice in the morning. I've definitely tried to implement different practices in the morning, journaling, praying, just being outside, going to the beach, walking in the sand, like all of those things are so grounding for me. And it's so important to start my day. So I really love all of the tangible tips that you gave. Thank you. It's very kind. And I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much. I mean, this was incredible. I would love to have you on for a part two later, but (laughs) where can they find you? Where can they find your, your podcast, your book? So my podcast is Don't Keep Your Day Job. And the book is called Don't Keep Your Day Job. And my Instagram is my name, Kathy Heller, Kathy spelled with a C. All those things. Come and join us. Be part of it. And come say hi on Instagram. I always love that. And thank you for doing such a great job. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Real Real. I hope that you enjoyed and don't forget to rate, review, follow, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Natalie Barbu and the podcast at The Real Real Podcast. I'll see you next Monday. Hey, my name is Lovan Rumpf, and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here, and vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then. 
Hey there, my name is Renee Rena, and I am the mom friend you have always wanted. I am also the host of the Mom Room podcast. We publish two episodes per week, a co-hosted episode on Tuesdays and a solo episode on Thursdays. Popular topics include pooping and having sex after giving birth. I have a solo episode where I talk about not sharing a bed with my husband and why that's okay. I hope you'll tune in to these conversations every week. Join us on Instagram at the mom room podcast and start to feel a little less alone in this crazy thing called motherhood.